Tonight we're going to talk about the goodness of God. The goodness of God. See, our God is for certain. Our God is great. And we can never overstate or overemphasize just how awesome that our God is. But for tonight, I picked the word goodness because our first passage has that in it. And that's what we're going to start with. We're going to start tonight with the 23rd Psalm. And if you've grown up in church or Sunday school, and if you've even attended many funerals, chances are that you can quote some or all of the 23rd Psalm because it's one of those passages in the Bible that gets used over and over and over and to good effect. It, it is a tremendous, tremendous passage in the Bible. It's only six verses, so it, it's very small, but there's so much meaning that is packed inside of those six verses. And we don't know exactly when David wrote this particular psalm, but many scholars think that he wrote it down towards the end of his reign because they say in the Hebrew, the way that it's written, it seems to be written as if it was an older man speaking and looking back on a life that he had come through so many tests and trials and he was headed towards the end of his life and the end of his reign and he was looking back. And that may or may not be, that's just what scholars think. Whenever we get there, we can ask him. But, but it is a, an, interesting, an interesting little bit uh, of history. But let's read it together. If you have your Bibles or if you want to read it on the screen, you're welcome to read it out loud with me if you wish. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that beautiful? That is just a, a beautiful piece of Scripture. And even without specifying a topic, the whole chapter itself can speak so much into our lives. And not only that, but the passage has a tremendous foreshadowing of what is to come in the Spirit. Now, if you haven't been in a grammar class in a while or a literature class foreshadowing is where an author or a writer gives the audience some hint about what's coming next. Usually you see foreshadowing in fiction where an author tells something to the reader that the characters in the story don't know yet, but it prepares you for what's coming next 
you know, it's kind of one of those things where some a narrator is going on and talking about how good everything is and how wonderful everything is, and then the narrator says something like, but it was not to last. And you know something bad's fixing to happen. The characters don't know it, but you as the audience know it. Psalm 23 actually does some foreshadowing of what is to come later on down the road. And, and it's one of those things that you don't necessarily pick up on the first reading, but once you see it, then you can't unsee it. So we're going to go through the passage again, but this time we're going to have a visual to put all of the pieces in place. And so it says, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. So David here is talking about me. You know, whenever you're saying this psalm, whenever you're praying this psalm, and you can do that, you can pray the psalms because they are songs of praise. They are songs that were prayers that David prayed. And, and the Bible encourages us to speak the word of God. And we know David was a man after God's own heart. And so if you're ever thinking, I want a relationship with God like David had, pray some of the psalms. Because these are literally the words that David used whenever he prayed to God. And it was, they were the only words that he had, what he knew, how he knew to praise God. But it was enough that God said, that man's my friend. And it wasn't just the words that he said, it was also the life that he lived. But I do that sometimes whenever I'm praying. I'll get one of the psalms that just really speaks to my heart and I will pray through the psalm. But instead of just reading it, I will say it to God. But here, he's talking about me. And he says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Here's our next pieces. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. A rod and a staff are things that you hold beside you. Generally, a shepherd's staff would be in his hand. A rod would usually be attached to his belt. And with the, the staff, he could pull the sheep back. He could move them back and forth. With the, with the rod, the rod was generally used as protection. That was his weapon in case a predator came. And so the, the staff is used for guiding. The rod is used for defense and sometimes for correction. And so thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over, and surely goodness and mercy shall follow behind me all of the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you see what shape that's in? It's the cross. Psalm 23 foreshadows what God is going to do thousands of years later, or a thousand years later, it, he, he is foreshadowing there's going to be a cross. And it's just so cool to me that David had no idea 
what was going to happen. He didn't know what the Messiah was going to look like. He, he didn't have any clue, but he had a connection with God. And through that connection, God was able to put things in his spirit. And as he wrote this psalm, God said, I'm going to put something in there. I, I, I'm, I'm going to put something in there to show people just how much I was planning this the whole way through. So the protection, the correction, the reproof of God on either side, the celebration of victory before us, even while the enemy still stands there, and then the goodness and mercy of God following after us all the days of our lives. Isn't, isn't that amazing? The, the first time I saw this visualization was when Uncle Mark, that's Brother Briggs's son, Mark Briggs, Sissy's mean older brother, he used it in a, in a visual, visualization whenever he preached here, and it, it has just fascinated me ever since. But many times in this passage, we focus on the mercy because we need it so much, every single one of us, every day. There's not a person in here that would not be here without mercy and grace. Some of us wouldn't even be alive today without mercy and grace, much less here at the church. But tonight, though, I want to focus on the topic of goodness in this passage. Goodness here is the Hebrew word tob, and it is literally good in the widest applicable sense of the word. It's used as a noun in both the masculine and feminine, in the singular and the plural. It's used as an adjective. It's used as an adverb. And in every sense, it means some form of, broadly speaking, good. Not a narrowly focused kind of good, but the best good possible in the widest sense you can imagine. And it's a word that has great application within the Old Testament. The, the word, the, the Hebrew word tob is used 553 times in the Old Testament. Not just the word good, because it's not always translated just as good or goodness but 553 times that Hebrew word is used in the Old Testament, and not just David, but many, many writers across many books of the Old Testament use this word. So we're going to go through a, a few examples. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 4. God saw the light that it was good, tob, and God divided the light from the darkness. Genesis 1 and 10, and God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good, tob. Genesis 1 and 12, and the earth brought forth grass and, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1 18, and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. Genesis 1.21 And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth which the water brought forth abundantly after their kind and every winged fowl after his kind and God saw that it was good. 
Genesis 1.25. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. One more. Genesis 1 and 31. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Every instance there is the word tob. And so it means in a broad sense, good. And, and the reason that I'm emphasizing the broad sense is because there are words in Hebrew that have a narrow definition of good as in things that are good for this or good for that. But in creation itself, whenever God went through and he was creating, he used the word good in the broad sense, meaning there's nothing here that I'm saying, eh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Like, even mosquitoes. He, did, he didn't even, like, even cats. I, I, he still said it was good. I don't understand, but he does. But, but he uses the word tob in each one of those. It's the same Hebrew word. It's not a narrow definition of, eh, it's okay, but it's totally and truly, absolutely good. Now, look at this. This is interesting. Genesis 2 and 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Same word, tob. And so in this context, the tree of the knowledge of tob and ra, good and evil, not just the knowledge of some good things, but the knowledge of all good things in the broadest possible sense of the word, the most expansive knowledge possible of what is good. And we focus many times on the evil because they were not supposed to eat of the tree. So we focus on the evil because they ate of the tree and then they knew they were naked. But the tree was of the knowledge of good and evil. The things they were not supposed to have to know. Not necessarily the things that they were forbidden to know, but things that God was telling them, I, you don't have to make that judgment call. That, that is not something that I want for you to have to do to know the difference between this. And so I do wonder sometimes if the word knowledge there, because we don't have a clear connotation of the Hebrew word, but I wonder if it wasn't so much knowledge of good and evil in the sense of information but rather knowledge as in the ability to discern between good and evil. And we just talked on Sunday about definition, and it's hard to make a judgment call without knowing or discerning each side of the thing. But I digress. I, I can run off on the rabbit trail through that for forever. So on we go. We don't only have translated as some form of the word good, but it actually gets used in different tenses and different senses in the, the Old Testament. 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 8, 
And this is where Hannah is, she has been just distraught because she does not have a son. She does not have a, a son to give her husband. She has been barren. She's not been able to conceive. And Elkanah is her husband. And it says, Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, Why weepest thou? Why are you crying? And why eatest thou not? Because she was so distraught, she wasn't even eating. And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? The word better there is tob. It means better or more good. It literally, he's literally saying, am I not in a complete sense better to you than ten sons? And, and of course, her answer was, no, you're not. I want a boy, and, and you're my husband, and I love you, but I want a boy, and that, that I want a boy or nothing. She ends up going to the temple. She ends up going and praying, and she's praying so intensely and so, so with such passion that Eli, the high priest, thinks she is drunk. And, and he's like, you just need to go home. And, and then she tells him, no, I, I am, this is because I want a son. And, and God speaks to Eli, and he tells her, you're, you're going to have a son. And so after the child was born because she made a pledge to God if you give me a son I'll give him back to you and that's where we get the process of dedication that's part of where that comes from thankfully we don't do it in the same sense that she did because she brought her son to the church and, and had him dedicating and then she left and the boy stayed there and I love all of your children but I don't want to raise all of your children it's not but she did and so 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 26, we have a snapshot of as Samuel began to, gr began to grow. And the, the word says, And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. That phrase, was in favor, is the Hebrew word tob, which means in all senses of the word he was in good standing both with God and with men which was an important distinction because at this point in time as he's growing Eli the priest has been doing things that were not pleasing to God his sons were instead of being part of the priesthood they were called sons of Belial and they were actually practicing idolatry and doing it in the temple and Eli was allowing them to do it and soon after this passage, God comes to Eli and he's like, mm, okay, that's it. I've gone f as far with you as I can. Now it's over. And then Samuel begins to be used by God in the capacity of the prophet. But so we have in Samuel, we have the word that we have in English as better. And here we have was in favor. And those are both the same word, tob, meaning in every way good. 553 times this word is used in the Old Testament. And I have a reason that I'm, I'm hammering on that because I, I, there, there is, a, there is a, a point to all of this. Just hang with me. Psalm chapter 34 and 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good in every sense of the word, not just a little good, 
not just, oh, he makes me happy every now and then. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is completely in every way good. Tob, blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Psalms chapter 107 and verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. The same word. He is Tob. Job chapter 2 and verse 10. Whenever Job's wife has told Job, all this has happened to you, you should curse God and die. And Job responds, but he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What shall we receive Tob? Shall we receive all of the good things at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 4, we just used this Sunday. So you will find favor and tob, good success in the sight of God and man. And that's if you hold on to wisdom and understanding and you keep the words of the law and the commandments of God in your mouth. So what is the point of all this, all this diving into Hebrew meaning, to clearly delineate that God himself is in all ways, by scripture, good in the broadest possible sense of the word, encompassing all the good that can possibly be. And then circle back to Psalm chapter 23 and verse 6, the goodness, the tobe of God is going to follow me all of the days of my life. Not just that God's going to give me a blessing every now and then. That's not what David was saying. David was saying the entirety of all the goodness that God is and has and ever will have is going to follow me all of the days of my life. It follows me. It chases me down. Just as his mercies are made new every morning, so is his goodness. And it's not just there as a thing that we can reach and grab or that exists in a bubble, but it pursues us. It actively walks and runs with us. Even in the New Testament, we see the goodness of God pursuing us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is a, a familiar passage of Scripture, and we know that all things work together for the good of them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, the good there is not tob, because the New Testament was written in Greek and not Hebrew. The Greek word there is agathos, which is a Greek word that means good in any sense. It's the same type of word. It's the Greek version of tob. It means that all things work together for the complete, encompassing, in any sense of the word, good to them that love God. One commentary I read, the, the biblical illustrator brought out a very important point in that verse. The verse talks about all things and any single event or part of what we could pull out of the issues of life may look like that single thing 
comes against us to destroy us. It may seem that it's meant to, to harm us, but it's only one part of many things that God has his hands on. And so that verse says, all things together. You know, whenever Michael and I walked through having a, a child that did not survive, and we knew that was what the world said the consensus was, and we were hoping and praying for a miracle, but we only had Naomi for about 53 minutes, and that was it. That thing could have destroyed us, and that is not something that we looked at as, oh, God is building our faith through this process. There are many things that if we take and isolate out, this thing happened to me, and we look only at that thing, that thing is a dagger right into our heart. But the verse says he takes that thing and the thing that happened before and the thing that happened after and the thing that happened two times before and two times after and he weaves all of them together into something that is ultimately for your good. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. And this is Joseph speaking. And in this passage, if you're not familiar with, with this part of the story, Joseph had a bunch of brothers. Joseph was the favorite son. His father gave him a, a coat, many colors, and he was daddy's boy, and all the rest of the brothers were jealous of him because he got everything. He probably got better Christmas presents. They didn't have Christmas, but you know, he, he was the favored son. None of the rest of them got a coat of many colors, just daddy's boy and so at some point they take him and they throw him in a pit they take his coat they rip his coat they kill a, a sheep splatter the blood all over the the blood the um, the coat and then they take the coat back to the father like look joseph's been killed by a wild animal we found his coat oh isn't that so sad and joseph's in a pit where he can't get out and their intent was they were going to kill him and then Reuben, the oldest, he said, no, no, let, let's not do that. There, there are some slavers coming. Let's sell him. And then his blood won't be on our hands, and we'll have some pocket money off of it. He, we're not going to get much for this crony runt, but we're going to get something for him. And so they did. They ended up selling him into slavery. He goes to, to Potiphar's house. He rises in the ranks there. Then Potiphar's wife decides that she wants him, lies on him to her husband whenever he won't consent to to be her friend and he goes into jail and then he ends up in Pharaoh's prison of all places interprets dreams gets to stand before Pharaoh interprets Pharaoh's dreams and gets made the number two man in the entire nation of Egypt and then there's a famine in the land and then his brothers come to Egypt not knowing because it's been years and they come begging food. They're given food. And finally, Joseph reveals himself to them. And at this point, this is in a time where the king has absolute authority. And in the nation of Egypt, Pharaoh has absolute authority. And the only person between Pharaoh and the rest of the people is Joseph. Joseph is number two in charge. Whatever he wants to do, the only one that's going to usurp his authority is Pharaoh himself. And so 
these boys all of a sudden realize, uh oh, we're in trouble. Because now he's got all the power and he's got an entire army at his back and we're here in his country. This is not good. And they begin to, to try and apologize and we're sorry. And David stops them. In Genesis 20, 50 and 20, he said, But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, Tob, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Joseph said, yeah, I went through stuff and it tried to destroy me. And if I would have let it, it would have destroyed me. But God had a purpose in all of it and he never left me through the entire process. And at the end of the journey, I got to save the entire nation of Israel, my entire family, my entire tribe. And, and y'all can be here and, and it was all for our good. You meant it for evil, but it really is for our good. They intended to destroy him. They had no plans to do him good. They intended for him to die or to go away and never be heard from again. They were done with daddy's boy. Their intent was to destroy. And understand that some of the things that we go through especially the things that are an attack from the enemy, the intent is to destroy. But God has another purpose. And he's going to take that end result that was supposed to be destroy, and he's going to turn it around into something else. Jeremiah 29 and 11. God says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And we've talked about this, that God is planning for your future. And so everything that happens to you, God is not surprised by. He has a plan and he's already got help laid out for you. The goodness of God is following us. God fights for us. And it doesn't even stop there. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, ever since Brother Bruce brought this out as part of his, his fruit message about us looking like the vine and having the fruit like the vine, uh, I've just been going back again and again and again to these verses. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. See, God doesn't just want to pursue us with goodness. He doesn't just want to bless us with goodness. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit, which means He wants us to grow in goodness for somebody else to be able to take part of it. Because someone that I come in contact with every day needs goodness just as much as I do. And the heart of God is breaking at their sorrow and pain just as much as it is my sorrow and pain. And God doesn't want to just be good to me. God wants to be good through me. It's an, it's an interesting, once God gave this to me, I, I just kind of backed up and thought, wow. You know, because we talk a lot about God working through us. You know, that, that's a phrase we use in, in 
Christendom a lot. But if the goodness of God is following after me, then no matter where I go, God has an opportunity to reach from behind me, through me, and into somebody else's life. Because it takes me speaking what he puts in my mouth. It takes me blessing somebody with what I have in my hands for them to see the goodness of God through me. I mean, the Bible even says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by the love that you have for one another. In other words, there's not going to be a symbol that's hanging over your head. You're not going to have a halo. It's going to be the actions that you take as the Spirit moves through you that's going to let everybody know who you are. And so whenever God wants to be, wants us to be his hands and feet to the world right now, that means the goodness of God also needs to flow through us. We talk, like I said at the beginning, a whole lot about mercy and about having mercy on those that are around us because we've been given mercy, but we've also been given tremendous amounts of goodness. And so we should turn around and do likewise and allow the goodness of God to flow through us. And we're coming up on Thanksgiving, and I am sure that Brother Bruce will do part of a Wednesday night service where he lets us give a testimony and a thanksgiving in the service. Don't wait until then, but be thinking now about how good God has been to you in this year, about how good God has been to you last year, about the things that he's brought you through, about the things that he's been able to do through you. And just, you know, I'm, I, I, I wasn't originally going to talk about this, but Brother Chris is, we are exporting him this weekend. He is going to South Carolina, and he's going over there, and, and be praying for him. He's going to, to teach a, a leadership class, and he was going to teach two leadership classes, but he, he just felt it in his spirit that he needed to teach part of the Beatitudes that we've been going through on Sunday morning to those people there and so he's going to condense five months worth of beatitudes in an hour into an hour and a half sermon so be praying for him but God has been so good to us in blessing us through him and now God's gonna take that and go and bless another church so then we can be part of that by praying for him that God will anoint him to have exactly the right words because we don't know who's going to be sitting in that auditorium, in that audience, who's going to need that. We don't know, but God does. And God says, I've got somebody that I can speak this to you. Do you realize that whenever Joseph went into the pit, he went in, his brothers put him into the pit in order to destroy him but before he went into the pit, there was already a slaver that had left weeks, if not months before, heading that direction. God already had the process by which he was going to start the miracle working process. He already had it started before the brothers ever conceived of their plan. That slaver was already on his way. And when Joseph went into the pit, here comes the slaver over the horizon. God was already working it out. And so there may be somebody that's going to be sitting there that, are, that they are going through the toughest time in their lives right now. But God's already got an answer on the horizon. 
He knows exactly where they are. And he does the same thing for us. Every single day, he does the same thing for us because Psalm 23 says, his goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if you would stand with me. So whenever we get to our Thanksgiving message, it'll probably be not this coming Wednesday night, but next Wednesday night. It's usually about when we do it. But from now until then, let it be rolling over in your spirit. What praise can I give my king before the congregation of the Lord? What can I say about how God has been good to me? Because the Bible says that a good report makes the bones fat means that a good report strengthens the structure of the entire body. Like whenever Josh gave his testimony about the miracle that God did for him. So be looking now for what God is doing and has already done in your life. We're going to end tonight with a song and with the giving of thanks to God. The song that we're going to play is The Goodness of God. And this version is by the Triumphant Quartet. And, and, and I promise you, it, it's not Danny Ivey singing. It, it sounds like his voice. It really does. If, if I could get him up here to sing any one song, it would be this, because it just it sounded like his voice when the first time I heard it. That's Uncle Danny. But this song is about the goodness of God. And so the rest of this service is yours. We're done a little bit early. Brother Bruce is probably gonna gonna tell me that you know we're, we you can't be doing that. They'll get you too used to be done, being done early. But the rest of this service is yours. I want you to just spend a few minutes as this song plays, and I want you to just stop and give God thanks for the good things that you've had in your life, whether it's today or last week. And you may be going through something right now and you may not be able to think of anything good right now. And if not, that's okay. You just stand there and just bask in the presence of God because I promise you the goodness of God is still pursuing you even when you're in the bottom of the pit. The goodness of God is still pursuing to our visitors, thank you for being here. For those that are watching on the broadcast, thank you for being with us. We're going to spend a few minutes just basking in the goodness of God.